Good morning. morning. Greetings to you, Orangewood, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you love Jesus in this place? Come on and give Jesus a big round of applause. Just praise him. Praise him for his mighty deeds. And now I know um, the messages are being recorded, so just in case Jeff listens to it, we want to make him think that you all really miss him. So clap your hands for Jeff Jakes, your pastor. <laughs> I do consider him a brother and a friend and um, in a very real way. And we have been there for each other in uh, very significant and very uh, precious times. And I thank God for the opportunity to stand here uh, to speak on behalf of my Lord in his stead. Um, We're certainly um, grateful um, to have um, members of the Father's House be with us as well and grateful for my wife and my daughter, uh, one of my children, my daughter being with us today. And uh, we're just excited to be here with you on this July the 4th. Amen. This holy day, uh, we call them holidays, but holidays comes from two words, holy and day. But nobody wants to call them holy days anymore. Nevertheless, every day is a day that the Lord has made. And we should do what? Rejoice and be glad. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. And I say in the words of the psalmist, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Father, I pray that they would have an, they who would hear this word would have a hear, ear to hear, but not be a hearer only, but a doer of your word, because your word is always a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Cleanse us today with the washing of water by your word, for your word is truth, and the words you speak to us are spirit and their life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. I want to speak to you from these words. Um, Jesus is our Jubilee. And if I had to subtitle this message, it would be a declaration of independence. Two words, in and dependence. Because being independent, I'm not so sure if that's where we really want to be. Our text is Luke, the fourth chapter, the 16th verse. I'm sure you have your Bibles with you. If you're very spiritual, you brought them with you this morning. And those who didn't, you have done like Eli did in the Book of Eli movie. You have memorized the entire Bible. And If you hadn't seen that movie, I would encourage you especially the end part. I just love that. Luke 4, 16 through 21. And it reads, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book, And found the place where it was written, 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. When Jesus uh, read this from the book of Isaiah, he was quoting, if you want to make note of this, Isaiah, the 61st chapter, and the first and part of the second verse. When Isaiah, who in many of his writings, in the letter, uh, the, the book that he wrote, um, it's a lot of messianic sayings or writings in the book of Isaiah. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I'm letting you know that today, as you read this scripture, as you hear this scripture, it is fulfilled in your hearing. So I want you to understand today, I want to declare our independence from independence. Now, independence is defined as not influenced by, controlled, or subject to someone else's or another person's authority, not relying on any other for existence. And today is the 4th of July, a very significant time in our history, that back in 1776, a document was finally uh, codified within our nation's history to declare our independence from Great Britain. It was agreed to on July the 2nd, but the final draft was not finished until the 4th, and we have our Declaration of Independence. But on the day before the 4th, on the 3rd, John Adams... Our, our nation's first vice president under George Washington, who also became the second president of our nation, who was also the father of the sixth president of our nation, John Quincy Adams. So it, it wasn't the Bushes first, it was the Adams, <laughs> uh, just, just in case you didn't know that. And so the Adams is the first real political family of our nation, but he wrote concerning the fourth and how the fourth should be celebrated. He said the second day of July, and the reason why he said the second day, because they thought the document would be finished on the second, but it wasn't finished until the fourth. But he said this, the second day of July, hence the fourth of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. Notice what he says. He says, it ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, 
with shows and games and sports and guns and bells and bonfires and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. And it seems that America has gotten the second part right. We have the bonfires and we have the, uh, uh, all of the, uh, the shows and the bells and the guns and we have all this, all this stuff that we do on the 4th or the 5th. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know if it's tonight or tomorrow when it's going to be celebrated. But the first part of what he said, the way it should be celebrated, is by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Our second president would have been proud to see that there are people here in church in worship and praising God on this holy day. But while America is independent of Great Britain, it seems to me that she is now moving closer and closer to her independence of God. Further and further, it seems that we as a nation is drifting away from God. And we believe that as it is seen in our nation's documents that America started out as a Christian nation. Um, Our very first textbook was the Bible, where they would teach reading and teach morality out of the Bible. And the American Tract Society that produced the Bible was also asked to produce the second volume of books. Um, I forget the name of it, but they were asked to, to produce the second volume of books as well for our children. In our history, it is very clear, even with the first Supreme Court justice, uh, the, the lead justice there in the Supreme Court, that he said this nation is a Christian nation. If you read Isaiah, the 33rd chapter and the 22nd verse, you will see where we have framed our entire government around that verse. Because it says, God is my judge, God is our lawgiver, and God is our king. He will save us. So we have our three branches of government. God is our judge, the judicial system. God is our lawgiver, the legislative body. And God is our king, the executive branch. These founding fathers use biblical precedent to frame the government of our nation. We know from the very beginning that even uh, Congress, the, um, the executive branch, all one has to do is read the writings of George Washington, our founding father, and read his, his farewell speech to let you know he was a man of faith. And so on and so on and so on. I could quote you Patrick Henry. I could quote you um, 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 precedents in the Supreme Court. And we talk about stare decisis, some of you that are into the law. And now, even now when we are um, uh, considering bringing on another Supreme Court justice, you may hear in the Senate hearings, judicial hearings, the whole concept of stare decisis. And it talks about precedent that was set in the previous course. Well, really, the current court and our current legislative body. I wonder if they really want to refer to stare decisis. If you go way back to the very beginning of the framing of our nation, they will see that Christ and God was invoked in everything that we did. Including our most founding, our, our most foundational document there is. It is not the Constitution. It is not the Declaration of Independence. 
It is the Mayflower Compact. It is the very first document where all other documents come from. And it says clearly that the explorers left England to come here to advance the Christian faith. But who wants to quote those documents? Even our Lord is in the Constitution, but who wants to say that? Where is he? At the very end, before the signers signed their name, they said that on the 17th day of September, 1,787 in the year of our Lord. That is in the Constitution. To the naysayers, I would ask, who is the Lord that our Constitution ends with? There's only one man that can fit the bill, and his name is Jesus. But where are we now? As I look back to the text that we just read, Luke, the fourth chapter, the context of Christ coming on the scene, between the time of the Testaments, between Malachi and Matthew, there's a period of about 400 years of prophetic silence. God ends the Old Testament by saying, that great, before that great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send the spirit of Elijah, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children back to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a curse. And God finished what he was saying and remained silent for 400 years from a prophetic perspective. And you can read history of all the stuff that happened in that time, but here now, 400 years later, Rome is now in power. Persia was, Greece was, now Rome is in power. Oppressing the people of Israel. And the people are looking for an answer. The people are looking for a deliverer. The people are looking for some help. And so the Lord, he brings forth his son. The father brings forth his son but not before he brings forth the forerunner, John the Baptist, who was given the opportunity to introduce to the world Christ. And I think John the Baptist probably did a better job than you did for me, Jack. I think he... he, I forgive you, though. I don't know how many times you overcharged us over that, Monica, but I forgive you. Jack said, well, you must have did something good because uh, we kept coming back. So, And I was mad when I didn't see you there no more. But anyway, John the Baptist introduced Christ. Behold, y'all know this, the words, the what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes on the scene. He's baptized. He's led into the wilderness by the, by, by, by the, by the Holy Spirit. He's tempted there. And after coming out 40 days, he comes, the Bible says, in full power of the Spirit. And in one day, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And a scroll is given to him. And the book of Isaiah 
He opens up to it and he reads from the 61st verse, 61st chapter and the first verse and part of the second verse. And he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And that's where he stops in terms of quoting from Isaiah. But when he says the favorable year of the Lord, it was referencing the year of Jubilee. And if you go back to um, Leviticus, the 25th chapter, and part of the 27th chapter, you will see where uh, Moses writes about the year of Jubilee as he is instructed by God. Six things came out of these verses that I want to point to you on behalf of my Lord today. Number one, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It is a reflection of his father. Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the father. Uh, Me and my father, we are what? We are one. Then he said, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's like it is limited to that group of people. Now, when I say poor, what does poor mean? There's three ways by which a person can become impoverished. One, of course, is misfortune. Um, You can't help it. I mean, was born in the poverty or just, just misfortune, circumstances beyond my control can cause one to be impoverished. Number two, you can become impoverished by mismanaging the resources that you have. But there's a third way a person can become impoverished. You can give it all away. And at the point in which you give everything away that you have to another, the person that you've given it to has become enriched even the more, and you have become a poor person. If there was a way that you could write a check, and that would... That, were, that, that check will cover everything that you have, whatever that figure is. And you found somebody to write that check to, the point in which you give it to them, and the point in which they go to the bank and cash that check and now take advantage of those resources, then the individual who gave it is now considered to be poor. In, when Jesus started his ministry, probably his longest sermon. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters worth of sermon. When you read in the first part of the fifth chapter, he says nine different blessings. Nine different blessings. And the first one he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who is he talking to? It is a reference not to just people who may be living on the street, but what he's saying to all of us is we all must, we must, we must embrace a spirit 
of poverty. Now let me explain. When I say embrace the spirit of poverty, meaning giving, when he's giving everything, I'm not talking about misfortune or mismanagement. I'm talking about that third way in which we give everything. Amen. And when we say give everything, I'm talking about giving everything to Christ. Because when you give everything to Christ, you realize that you don't own anything, that you don't have anything, that it all belongs to God. And you are simply a steward of what God has given you. My money belongs to God. My house belongs to God. My car belongs to God. My wife belongs to God. My children belongs to God. My life belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. And the point in which you can yield and give everything to the Lord, you've become poor. And now God can deal with you the way he needs to. No wonder the psalmist said, this poor man cried and the Lord heard me and delivered me out of all of my troubles. Here is the king, a man who has everything, but has to say, this poor man cried. If you cannot leave here today and say, I'm, I'm just a poor man. I don't, see, it, don't have, it has nothing to do with where you live. You can live in a gated community. You can, you can be financially free. But if you, don't, if you don't see that everything you have belongs to God and you don't give it to him, then you have not embraced the spirit of poverty. Because the gospel is the poor people. Jesus said it. He's anointed me and he's anointed me to preach the gospel To everybody who has given up everything they have to me. No wonder God says in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter and the third verse, he said, listen, I made you go hungry. It was me. He's talking to Israel. I made you go hungry. I kept back the manna. I kept you from receiving. I made you go hungry so that you might know that man don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. And God is all you want. He'll never be all you want until you realize he's all you need. Thank God for stuff. Thank God for people in my life. But I take no ownership of it. He wants everyone to embrace that poverty spirit because he's preached the gospel to the poor. You know, that word poor also means a beggar. And someone who publicly begs. That word poor, a beggar. And you know what a beggar is? A beggar depends on some or other people for their existence or for their sustaining. And if you see yourself as a beggar, Lord, thank you for everything. God, I need you to bless me, to, to, to pay my bills. God, I need you to help me get home safe. You know, when I'm driving home and get, and get on the 408 and make it home, just before I walk in the door, you know, I just, before I walk in the door, I say, Lord, thank you for bringing me safe home. Now, I know I, it was me who was holding the wheel. I know it was me who had to make sure that I was alert on, 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 the, on the highway, but it was really God who brought me safe back, because if God would withhold his hand, then in Anything could happen to me and anything could happen to you. Thank God for his grace and for his mercy, because if it wasn't for the grace of God, anything could happen to us. We are being held up by the very power of God. Tell me something, you scientists. How is it that the earth is leaning 
and turning and sitting on top of nothing and yet we don't freeze and yet we don't burn up and it's because of the power of God. If he removed his hand, what would happen to us? It is by the grace of God that the ground you walk on doesn't turn into a sinkhole. Because all you have to do is live in Orlando, Florida for any length of time. And I declare there's a few times, at least during the summer, that somebody's house is being swallowed up in a sinkhole. The chair that you sit on, the molecular structure that is holding it together, is held there by the very power of God. So I'm speaking to poor people. I want to speak to some poor people today. Some folks who realize I don't have nothing. The job that I have was given to me by God. Because the Bible said promotion coming from the Lord. Amen. Everything that I have. The, the Bible says the earth. Watch this now. I, I know your name is, is on the mortgage and, and, your, the, uh, and your tax receipts and all that stuff got your name on it. But let me just bust your little bubble. The Bible said the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So my little spread that I have over there on the east side of town, it may have my name on it, but the earth is the Lord. It all belongs to him. Then he says the earth, the psalmist said the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and what? They, that's you and me, that dwells therein. He owns it all. To him be the glory. To him is the kingdom. To God is the power. To God is the glory. To God is everything. Amen. And until you get to a place and say, Lord, the job that I have, God, is from you. I thank you for this job. Help me to be a good steward of it. God, the wife that I have, the children I have, God, the ministry I have, this is not my church. This is not my ministry. It belongs to you. Help me to be a good steward over my wife, over my children, over my finances. God, it belongs to you. I've given it to you. I'm simply a poor man trying to be a good steward over your stuff. Then he says, proclaim release to the captives. Captives is a prisoner of war. And saints of God, we are at war. And I'm not talking about Afghanistan and Iraq. God bless all of our soldiers who are fighting. But I'm talking about a war that was before then. I'm talking about a war that is in your own house. I'm talking about the war that is in your mind because the spirit lusted against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And these two are contrary one to another. The spirit constrains me but wants me to do one thing. The flesh wants me to do another. And they're fighting, amen, for the prize of my soul. But yet, if I feed the spirit of God, if I give my heart to Christ, if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then my spirit will win in the end but we are at war and Jesus said I came to release you then he said recovering of sight to the blind amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me once was lost now I'm fine blind but what then he said set free those who are oppressed That means to grant forgiveness to those crushed by the weight of sin and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All you have to do is go and read about the year of Jubilee. 
And when you read about the year of Jubilee, it, two things were associated mainly with the year of Jubilee, rest and release. Amen. The land was supposed to rest. You're supposed to do all you could. Now watch this. I wish our government would, would do that. If you really understood what the year of Jubilee is, man, we would have a year's worth of vacation. In fact, the year of Jubilee was two years worth of vacation because every seventh year was a sabbatical year. It was rest. You don't work. The, you, all the work you did for the sixth year, the Bible says, God says, I will bless the land so much in the sixth year, it will produce enough for the sixth year, the seventh year, and the eighth year. So in one year, God will bless it so much to produce enough a harvest for three years. And then on the year of Jubilee, not only did you have that 49th year, that other, that seventh, seventh year of rest, but the year of Jubilee was the extra year of rest. And at that time, if you were a slave, you had to be free. If, if, if you had to sell your land, you, you can go get it back for your family's sake. It was rest and release. Oh, watch this. All debts were forgiven. But well, wouldn't that be nice here in America? All oh, debts, my God. We could all go on vacation somewhere. All debts. No debt. Can, can't. I just got to stay there for a minute because that just helped me. That's just, uh, do you understand? All debts were forgiven on the 50th year. No wonder Jesus said when he taught us how to pray, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debts. Because what he's saying is, listen, everything that you are guilty of is forgiven. Also, the, 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 the year of Jubilee was connected to restoration. Everything that was lost, you can get it back. So who is he talking about? He's talking about you and he's talking about me. That we were the blind ones. We were the captives. And right now, you don't have to be in distress about anything. Paul said it this way. He said, I'm troubled on every side, but I won't be distressed. I'm perplexed, but I will not be in despair. No matter what is going on. So Paul said this, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The apostle Paul referred to him as the chief of sinners, but that Christ came to deliver me. And he was one who plundered the saints. So I don't care what you've ever done. You don't have to walk in condemnation. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, there is therefore right now, right now, right now, right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Oh my God. No condemnation. So if you're feeling condemned, that ain't coming from a holy God. That is coming from an enemy that has already been determined Helpless. He has rendered no, he, he, listen, he, he's the least of your problems. 
Because the Bible says when he, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Who did he lead captive? All of his enemies. Satan, sin, death, and hell has been plundered by our Lord. You don't have to worry about having power over the enemy. The, the apostles got excited about that. Oh, we got power over the devil. Jesus said, look at here. I beheld Satan falling as a lightning. Don't get excited that you got power over the enemy. You need to get excited that I took my pen out and I went into the book of life and I wrote your name in it. Get excited that your name has been written in the book. If you are a believer. That's good news to me. That's good news to me that Jesus is my jubilee. Aren't you glad that we don't have to wait 50 years? Some of us wouldn't make it anyhow. Aren't you glad we don't have to wait every seven years for rest? Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm so glad I don't have to wait for a year. I'm so glad I don't have to wait till July the 4th because guess what? I have independence from sin now. I have independence from Satan. I got independence from all the stuff that was happening to me. But now I want to talk to you about a declaration of independence because now really until you become totally dependent on the Lord, you can never experience the fullness that God wants you to experience. So this is a declaration of being independent. I want to be dependent on the Lord for everything. God, I need your help. When I sit down at my desk, yes, you know what? Behind my desk, there's a few little degrees that may say I know a little something, but you know what? I don't know nothing that as I ought. Fact about it, I don't even know what to pray for that as I ought. That's why Paul said the spirit itself giveth intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes when you don't even know what to pray, thank God for the Holy Spirit. When you don't have wisdom, them. The Bible said, let them ask of God and he would give it to you freely and upbraideth not. God will give you everything that you need. He is our everything. And if Christ is not your everything, he is your nothing. It's either all or nothing at all. He don't just want some of you. He want all of you. Can I tell you something? He don't just want you on a Sunday. Baby, this is a 24-7 thing. It is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because he has forgiven me of my debts. My debts is clear. I don't have to wait the 50th day. I can just go to him. And he is my everything. What keeps me? What keeps you? The Bible says the spirit of the Lord constrains me. What makes me come home every day? What makes me be faithful to my wife of almost 23 years? Not that I didn't have opportunity to cheat on her. Oh, there's plenty of opportunity. There's some crazy women out there. They'll just forgive it to you anytime you want. <laughs> it ain't like it ain't opportunity. But... Who is it that is watching me? See, 
Do we really believe that God is omniscient and omnipresent? The church really, really, people in the church don't really believe God is omnipresent. You know what omnipresent is? He's everywhere at the same time all the time. And if I really believed that, I wouldn't just do whatever I wanted to do. Because even if my wife ain't around, even if the church isn't around, even if the elders are not around to hold me accountable, there's one holding me accountable. And I, John said it this way, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The spirit of God constrains me. And it's my love to Jesus. Really? The Bible says that know ye not that your body is the temple of God in 1 Corinthians 6. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belongs to him. So I can't do whatever I want to do with this body. Not if I believe it belongs to him. The spirit of God constrains me. So this is a declaration of in dependence not independence but being in dependence on the Lord before I take my test I know I may have studied young people you may have done a good job in doing your homework and study but but don't just rely on your own mind before you take that test say Lord I need you to bring everything to my remembrance that I need to remember God help me to do well on this test don't assume you are just, you are smart like that. You got to assume that you know nothing and that God has everything. You got to be totally dependent on him. God, is this friend right for me? Is this the right person I'm supposed to marry? Is this the right friend I need to be in relationship? Is this the right job? Should I go to school over here? Father, lead me. God, guide me. God should be in every decision of your life. If you are a poor person. So as I close, if Jesus had to address America in the words of what he said in Luke 4, I think he would say something like this. Jesus would say, I am July the 4th. I am freedom. See, I'm not proud to be an American more than I'm proud to be a Christian. And as a Christian, I will vote as a Christian. I will conduct myself as a Christian. And being American is somewhere down on the totem pole underneath my loyalty to my king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So happy Independence Day. Leave here with the mindset that I depend on Jesus Christ for everything. I depend on him for my life. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. What? I am. No man come to the Father. I am the bread of life. Before Abraham was, I am. That word I am means to exist. It is a reference to the name Jehovah, I am, meaning the self-existent one. He always was. 
Where did God come from? He just always was, always is, and always shall be. And we have the benefit of knowing him. Amen? We have the benefit, but there's only one thing better than us knowing him, and that is he knows us. Hallelujah. For I don't want the Lord to, when I stand before him that day, and I talk about, Lord, look at all the stuff I've done. I even preached that orange wood. <laughs> I would hate for him to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. He didn't say, I, didn't, I don't know you right now. He said, I never. We were never in relationship. So I found that's one thing more important than me knowing him. And that is that he knows me. I love you today. I love you with the love of the Lord. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my family. If Jesus is your Lord. And if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. If Jesus is not your Lord. I invite you to know him. This is how you'll know if you know him. If you know him, you think about him all the time. If you know him, you serve him. If you know him, you've submitted to him. If you know him, it's a relationship more than a Sunday morning. If you know him, when you leave here today, out of any one of these exits, you take him with you on I-4. You take them with you while you're on your computer. You take them with you while you're texting. You take them with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Don't sin. But if you do, those who know him realize we are an advocate with him. And we simply just pray, Father, forgive me of all of my sins. Because if you're a sinner, you're going to sin and you don't care. But if you're a saint, When you fall short and the spirit has been grieved, he convicts you, not condemns you. He convicts you and leads you to him. Today is a holiday. Tomorrow it is celebrated here in America. As you celebrate with your family and friends, people say, boy, this is Independence Day. So, yeah, this might be independence from Britain, Great Britain. But tell your friends and tell your family. Let us not become independent of God. Let's be in dependence on him. May the Lord add a blessing to the preached word of God. Come on, give your hand. Give Jesus a great big hand. Come on, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy and righteous and matchless name. Amen. Blessings to you.